Well, good morning, uh, Wayside, and, and uh, uh, good morning to all of our, our visitors. Um, uh, it's just so grateful to have you all here, and uh, pray that you know you all are safe and warm, as uh, as we were saying earlier. And uh, yeah, ha- happy Valentine's Day. Um, I'm, I'm super excited uh, to be with you. My name is Chris Lapointe. I'm one of the elders here. And so uh, today uh, we'll, we'll actually be continuing our sermon series on the book of Hebrews. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm really just super excited to unpack what I think is one of the pivotal moments in this letter. Uh, and, and so I'll, I'll explain more on that in a minute. But for now, um, just please open your Bible or Bible app and turn with me to Hebrews 2. Uh, so, uh, for those of you who weren't with us last week, um, uh, John uh, pointed out that it's really important uh, for us to look at this letter as a whole, as it was intended to be read. And so Hebrews was a letter that was written to Jewish Christians that were under just intense persecution. Um, they were suffering, they were in danger of drifting away from their faith in Christ. And so the inspired author's purpose was therefore um, really just to affirm, right? Jesus is greater than everyone and and everything, and he alone deserves our worship. So uh, it begs the question, right, uh, for for many of us, you know, what was causing them to drift? Um, And and so you really have to put yourself in their shoes, historically speaking. So for, for hundreds of years, they had exalted prophets and angels as heroes who were responsible for delivering God's messages and, and exercising God's will. Uh, and so it was, it was commonly believed that, that angels brought the law of Moses to Israel uh, and, and that God assigned tasks uh, to angels as operators of the universe, that, that angels, not Jesus, operated um, the stars, the seas, the weather, uh, and even served as the wardens of hell. And so this history of angel worship was deeply ingrained in Jewish culture um, and even their identity as a people. And so last Sunday, John did just uh, an amazing job of unpacking Hebrews 2, uh, 5 through 9. And so this is where Jesus is exalted through his work on the cross uh, as the redeemer of our ultimate purpose, uh, which is to be glorified with God and rule over this world. And, and so today, church, um, We'll cover the last nine verses in chapter two, where we'll see the culmination of the author's contrasting of Jesus with angels. Um, And and so this further affirms Jesus is greater than angels, even in his human nature. Um, And so I like to to imagine this as kind of like the, you know, the drop the mic moment for the author. Um, And and as Ben pointed out to me, uh, it's arguably uh, the, the most important passage on the meaning of the incarnation in the entire Bible. So uh, thanks, Ben. You know, no pressure there, right? So in fact, let me pause for a moment and and pray that God uh, would allow us to see it in the way that he intended. Uh, Father God, uh, thank you for this morning. Um, As we just sang, um, uh, how amazing is your love for us? Uh, You loved us so. Uh, So minister to our hearts this morning. minister to uh, our, our minds, um, as, as Amanda said, declutter um, our, our minds uh, and allow us to focus on you. Um, and Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, 
uh, speak in, in spite of me uh, the words you'd have th- for us this morning um, and, and help us understand the amazing miracle uh, of Jesus coming to earth um, and, and dying uh, and becoming our, our Savior forever. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so, church, um, you know, we, we sort of look uh, sometimes at history and we kind of separate ourselves from it. But if we're being honest, um, you know, our society is actually not too different from Jewish Christians, um, from, from, the, from that that the Jewish Christians were living in. So, you know, we don't exalt angels maybe as our primary focus, but, but we're, we're searching for heroes in our lives, you know, we, we cling to the, the heroes of the past. We search for new ones in the present. Um, and, and it's not surprising, right? I mean, given what we're going through in the midst of a, a global pandemic, uh, national unrest, power outages, um, our, our hero worship is in overdrive. Great hope is being placed uh, in, in, in things that, and uh, in people that it shouldn't, in, in, in government leaders, in scientists, sports teams, athletes, musicians, actors, uh, and, and even social media influencers. God help us. Um, so we, we even see this type of hero worship epitomized in song. Uh, in fact, there's one that you might remember. Uh, it's an iconic 80s song uh, called Holding Out for a Hero by Bonnie Tyler. Um, it was uh, in Footloose, uh, and some of you might remember, more, more recently in, in, I think, one of the Shrek movies. I think it was Shrek 2. So you know, and you, you all want to like go look this up, but don't look it up now. Let me paraphrase the lyrics for you. Where have all the good men gone and where are all the gods? I need a hero. I'm holding out for a hero and he's got to be larger than life. Um, so uh, my wife wanted me to sing it uh, to really bring it home, but uh, I'll, I'll save that for, for another time. So uh, I think, I think you can see like there's a, there's a bunch of cheesy lines and some of you remember um, in between those lines, but I think you get the point. Uh, the singer is looking for a heroic new love to save her. And, and, and that's really, you know, if we think about it, our culture in a nutshell, church, our, our hearts are inclined to hero worship. Our, our culture increasingly wants us to attribute saving power to people. Um, and, and this pulls our attention and our worship away from Jesus. So today, uh, we'll see that, that Jesus is our ultimate hero. We'll see that uh, Jesus saves us through self-sacrifice from slavery and sin, and that, that he alone deserves our worship. So first, uh, Jesus saves us through self-sacrifice. Uh, so I know already some of you may be thinking that, hey, I, I, I think I've heard this gospel sermon before, but I promise uh, there's, more, there's more here, so please stick with me. Uh, Look at verses 9 through 10 with me. So in verse 9, the author explains Jesus sacrifices himself. But we do see him who was made for a little while, lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of his suffering death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So Jesus endured a suffering death so that he might taste death for everyone. And church, um, you know, th- this gets at the very heart of the struggles of the Jewish Christian audience of this letter. They-, they wrestled with the idea of it being fitting for Jesus the Messiah to suffer and die. 
Um, it, maybe you're thinking the same thing. Why did Jesus have to suffer and die? And, and after all, um, I believe Kevin covered this in Hebrews 1.3 in chapter 1, the author himself exalts Jesus as God, stating he is the radiance of God's glory in the imprint of his nature. So Jesus, he clearly did not need to suffer for his salvation. So, so why? Why then? Um, and so the author addresses this specifically in verse 10. For it was fitting for him, and this is God the Father, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, so that's, that's us, to perfect the originator, uh, or in some translations, the leader of their salvation through suffering. For it was fitting. So, uh, church, the author makes it clear it was in accords with God's divine will for Jesus to suffer for our salvation. But, but how could, uh, you might ask, um, Jesus, the Son of God, be perfected? What, wasn't, wasn't he already perfect? Yes. So, church, we, we know that from Scripture that Jesus is the spotless lamb. He is the perfect human being. The perfecting uh, of Jesus that the author is speaking to in this context is Jesus' role as the, the leader of our salvation. Uh, so to be perfected as the leader required Jesus to encounter the full pain uh, and suffering of the human experience and to remain sinless, e- even in the face of death. Uh, remember what Jesus did on the eve of his arrest. He, he, he fell on his face in prayer sweating blood and crying out, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. But yet, not as I will, but as you will. Church, there was no other way. Jesus' leadership in complete human suffering and sacrifice without sin and in perfect obedience to the Father provided the basis for our salvation and so the author declares that, that Jesus blazed the trail of salvation that would save them through sufferings, bringing many sons to glory. So this had to be you know, mind-blowing for the Jewish Christian readers. Uh, and, and this should be awe-inspiring for us as Christians today. The author's original audience clearly had heard the gospel before. Uh, but similar to, I think, you know, maybe many churchgoers today, they may have never fully understood its implications. And so Jesus is our ultimate hero because he sacrificed himself to save us. And so although he did this in perfect obedience to the Father's will, there's actually something else that was compelling him. Uh, So Jesus sacrificed himself because he loves us, um, as we just sang. Oh, how you love us. So let's look at this starting in verse 11. For both he, uh, and this is Jesus uh, in this context, He, Jesus, who sanctifies, and those who are sanctified are all from one Father. For this reason, he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So the word sanctifies here uh, means to make holy or to to, to set apart. Um, And so the author is reminding his audience that those who are sanctified, uh, uh, that those who are sanctified, the audience, that it's because of Jesus' work on the cross and their faith that they're adopted into Jesus' family as being, uh, as we see in the text, all from one Father. Um, And and so it's worth noting that the word Father 
it, it, it isn't actually in the Greek text, but even if we admit that, we can read all from one as referring to one family. So, so with this intro, the author then um, just offers kind of an amazing and, and really beautiful way into how Jesus sees them now in verses 12 through 13. So let's look at verse, verses 12 through 13. Saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children whom God has given me. So uh, this first verse, I will proclaim your name to my brothers. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing your praise. This is actually a quote from Psalm 22. Um, and so Jewish readers would have recognized it as a messianic psalm. Uh, you know, and I think... Some of you may remember this, uh, that the beginning of Psalm 22 is what Jesus quotes from while on the cross in the Gospel of Mark. Um, I, I won't go down that rabbit hole, but it's kind of amazing how things connect together. Uh, the author then ascribes Isaiah 8, 17 through 18 to Jesus with, I will put my trust in him and behold, I and the children who God has given me. So, uh, the author is, is quoting from scripture that the readers would have likely known by heart. Um, the author conveys, in, in, sorry, in doing so, in, in conveying this scripture that uh, the readers just knew intimately, he conveys the profound, familiar way that Jesus loves his followers. And so um, we, we don't have time as much as I'd like to to follow the breadcrumbs on you know each of these Old Testament verses, but let me camp, camp out. Uh, let me camp out for a minute on this last line. Behold, and I, the children who God has given me. Church, please hear this. Why, why does Jesus love us so much? Because the Father gave us to him. Jesus is our ultimate hero because he not only sacrifices himself for our sins, but then he loves us as the most precious gift from the Father. Um, so, Speaking of uh, precious gifts, uh, I know it's Valentine's Day, so I'm sure that there's some, you know, super sweet gift and card exchanges in order. Uh, but do you all remember the crazy Valentine's Day scene from when you were in school? Uh, or maybe it was just me, but I, I remember sitting in my fourth grade classroom wondering, you know, how many Valentines I would receive. And so, you know, this was in the days before, you know, everyone gets a trophy. Um, and so y'all just like, terrible anxiety, wondering if enough people love you. Was I going to suffer the embarrassment of having, you know, the least, uh, the least number of Valentines, like, you know, in, in the entire class? Like, uh, how horrible would that be? And, and worse yet, what if, the, what if the girl that I like gave me the dreaded, you know, let's, let's just be, you know, let's be friends heart instead of the be mine. Uh, and so, you know, my, my identity and worth at the moment seemed completely tied to silly cards and, and candy conversation hearts. Um, and so church, you know, as we get older, you know, we like to think, I know I like to think this, that we grow out of our childish, uh, childish uh, insecurities, um, you know, but oftentimes, if we're being honest, they're, they're just lurking there in the background. Are, are, are your identity and worth tied to things of this world? Um, are, are, are you seeking love and affirmation from people or things that they could never love you the way that Jesus does. If so, church, I, I pray you would just lay these things down. See yourself through Jesus' eyes. You are created beautifully in his image. You are the most precious gift 
from the Father to him. You are loved as part of his family, and you can shout, Abba, Father, with him by your side. Friends, worship Jesus as the ultimate hero of your life, a hero who loved you so much that he was willing to suffer and die to save you. Okay, church, so uh, by way of quick recap, um, so in verses 9 through 13, the author covered how Jesus sacrificed himself to save us, and so he should be exalted above all others. Uh, But we look to heroes because they save us from something, right? Uh, So who or what does Jesus save us from? Uh, And so as the author continues, we see Jesus saves us from slavery. More specifically, he he defeats our greatest enemies, death and the devil. Uh, Let's look at verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For clearly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. So so the author uh, adds a therefore uh, to start off these verses to indicate an expansion on the previous verses. In, in other words, that they further explain the purpose of Jesus' self-sacrifice. Since mankind sinned in the garden, the devil had the power of death. And, and these Jewish Christians, um, they, they were super familiar with this concept from the Torah. They, they knew that the devil tempted Adam and Eve to disobey God and thus had to face his judgment. And, th- and this was mankind's fall from grace that, that, that we hear about uh, many times in, in, in Scripture and as we hear about the gospel. So in particular, I, I think that the, the Jewish Christians uh, had these verses from Genesis 3 on their minds as they were reading these verses in the letter. Then to Adam he said, and this is God speaking, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I, I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you are taken, from you, uh, for you are dust. Um, and so this is the reference to, to death coming into the world. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, Death entered into the world. Uh, And so in our letter, uh, the author continues, um, just to read this again. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus, himself likewise also partook of the same, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, the devil. Um, Through the fall, uh, devil has this power. Um, And so that, that he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For clearly he, Jesus, does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. So church, the author really wants Jewish Christians to understand the purpose of Jesus' humanity. He states here that Jesus partook of the same flesh and blood as the children. So, uh, in other words... Uh, Jesus had to become human so he could die and rise again to conquer the one who has the power of death, the devil, on their behalf. So I I think the author drops the mic here. 
you know, there, there could be no disputing the facts at this moment for, uh, for the Jewish Christian readers. Angels couldn't save them because they weren't flesh and blood. Only Jesus, greater than angels and servant king of mankind, could free them from their enslavement to fear of death and the devil who held the power of death. And Jesus did this so that they could live for him forever. So we, we, we worship Jesus as our ultimate hero because he freed us from the worst kind of slavery imaginable, a slavery which holds us captive through the fear of death. In 1863, President Abraham Lincoln um, signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, and, and this declared that all persons held as slaves within the rebellious states are and henceforward shall be free. However, this one courageous act, um, as, we, as I'm thinking now that we're actually about to celebrate President's Day, this one courageous act as president was not enough to actually change the reality of slaves in the South. It took four years of civil war before slavery was fully abolished. And, and even a hundred years later, MLK's great speech in front of the Lincoln Memorial reminds us that the effects of slavery were still reverberating through our culture in the form of individual and institutional racism. So Lincoln was undoubtedly a great hero in American history, but his act of liberation was just the beginning. Jesus's act of liberation was different. He liberated us once and for all. And the effects of his liberation were immediate and comprehensive because of the loving sacrifice of Christ on the cross and his triumphal resurrection from the grave. We are no longer slaves, y'all. We no longer have to be enslaved by the fear of death, which empowers Satan for our destruction. Church, this is why we should be in awe of Jesus's work on the cross. In that single sacrificial act, he changed our future forever. Jesus freed us from our constant fear of death so that we could live for him. Friends, fear of death can manifest in so many ways in our lives. Um, It might be anxiety over parents getting older. Uh, It might be apprehension about kids growing up too fast. It might be concern about uh, a fading youthful appearance. Do you find yourself still living in fear? Is this Fear, whatever it is in your life, causing you to drift in your faith in Jesus. Remember Paul's exhortation in Romans 8, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Church, we are free, so let's live in freedom. And in doing so, we worship Jesus as our ultimate hero. So Jesus saves us through great self-sacrifice, and he saves us from slavery by conquering two of our greatest enemies, death and Satan. So what's left for our ultimate hero? Well, death entered the world because of sin, so our hero's work wouldn't be complete without addressing it specifically. And so in our final two verses today, the author explains how Jesus saves us from perhaps the greatest enemy of all. Jesus saves us from sin. So first, church, uh, he, he covers our sin through his death. 
Look at verse 17 with me. Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brothers, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So the author, uh, in this verse, points back to his previous teachings that we've just been talking about on the necessity of Jesus' suffering and death by stating, Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brothers. But then he adds to it, and he says, Jesus' sacrifice allowed him to become a merciful and faithful high priest that was suitable to make propitiation of the sins of the people. The word uh, propitiation, propitiation here, I always struggle with saying this word, could also be translated as atonement here. Uh, and so the author expects his audience to be very, very familiar with the duties of the high priest in the sacrificial system of atonement required by Jewish law. And so I'll talk about that uh, here in a second. Uh, if you really want to geek out in this, um, see Leviticus. But uh, put simply, uh, God loved and wanted a relationship with his people, with us. But because of our sin, because of our sin, we could not approach him. And we were subject to his judgment. And so God gave his people a way to temporarily attain for their sins by killing innocent animals, thereby covering their sins and propitiation, uh, propitiating or satisfying God's justice. The, the high priest um, in, in Jewish context was who oversaw this sacrificial system that was set up for them. And, and so the author's point to his audience is that Jesus, through his ultimate sacrifice, he, he covered their sins. He, he satisfied God's justice, and he reconciled them uh, with God forever. And so he is their ultimate high priest. Uh, and so I like to imagine that the, the Jewish audience in reading this had a glorious aha moment here. You know, worshiping angels or returning to the practices of Judaism would be foolish. Um, and, and so the same aha should apply to us, church. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus, so why would we worship anybody else? The author concludes his, uh, his, his exaltation of Jesus by sharing uh, how he comes to our rescue. Uh, so church, let's look at this final verse. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. The author knows that Jewish Christians aren't under tense persecution. They were outcasts of Jewish society. They lost friends and community and jobs. They feared jail and death. So the author wants us to be clear that Jesus knows all the sufferings and temptations of the human experience. He was tempted in that which he has suffered. He knows the temptations of, of power and pain, riches and poverty, uh, popularity and rejection, friends and enemies, families and strangers. And, and so they could count on Jesus to rescue them from the temptations to generate uh, in their faith and, and this attempting to kind of fit in by going back to the outward practices of Judaism, which was happening. Jesus comes to the aid of those who are tempted. And so, church, we, we worship Jesus as our ultimate hero because he, he knows exactly what we're going through. He is merciful and faithful to save us from our sin. But in our day-to-day -day lives, um, if we're being honest, do, do, we actually, do we actually go to him as our ultimate hero and high priest? In the distractions of this world, the enemy is, is, is probing at us. He, he's looking for ways to tempt us and distract us from worshiping Jesus. As Jesus warned Peter and his followers, Satan has requested 
to sift you like wheat. Uh, and so, church, this, this always seems to happen to me when I'm up for preaching. So over the last couple of weeks, uh, I, I found out that uh, my, my position uh, at work was being eliminated. Uh, th- then I was uh, offered uh, to take what I initially considered a lesser role. Uh, and then I got sick. Uh, and so, uh, you know, my, my, my sins of, of fear and pride were, 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 were hard to fight against in my weakness. And, and so once again, I was humbled to the point of praying, Jesus, help me. And, and, and praise God, Jesus provided the help I needed in my weakness. Through, through his wisdom, I, I, I asked for help. I laid down my pride and, and I, I took the lesser job. And so, church, um, I, I know we're all struggling and suffering in, in different ways right now. And, and so, in our weakness, um, the temptations to self-rescue are are are, are very real. Um, maybe you're maybe maybe you're holding on to uh, guilt and, and and shame of sin in your life. So you're trying to you know balance out the scales yourself with good works, uh, or. or you know, maybe you're feeling like you should just, you know, power through, you know, you, you pull up your, you know, big boy or girl pants, you know, we're just going to power through temptation and weakness on our own, right? Like, like I tried to do. So wherever you're at, please remember that Jesus identifies with our hurts, our pains, our rejection, our depression, our confusion, because, you know, he experienced it all. Um, he experienced it all when he walked on this earth, when he was crucified, and, uh, we, we, we church, we, we worship him as our ultimate hero um, by calling out to him in weakness. He alone can rescue you. So church, uh, in conclusion, the, the, the author's point, uh, the author's underlying point, you know, beneath everything we've talked about, uh, it, it should be clear. In our exaltation of Christ, we cannot separate Jesus' humanity from his deity. God the Son became a man so that he could become our ultimate hero. He, he alone saved us from sin and death and Satan through his, through his just loving sacrifice. Uh, and, and he alone deserves our worship. Uh, this, this old hymn, uh, I found, summarizes it well. Jesus, who passed the angels by, assumed our flesh to bleed and die. And still he makes it his abode as man he fills the throne of God. Our next of kin, our brother now, is he to whom the angels bow. They join us with they join with us to praise his name, but we the nearest interest claim. Amen, church. Uh, so next week, uh, a huge praise. Uh, we welcome uh, Pastor Ben back to the pulpit as he covers the beginning of chapter three. Uh, where, where, and this is where the author talks about, as a continuation of what we had just talked about today, Jesus' superiority to perhaps the greatest hero of the Hebrew faith. So looking forward to that. Let's pray.